welcome to the BCMA podcast. I'm your host, Lorenda Calvert. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, thank you so much, Christia, for joining me today uh, in chatting. Um, I was wondering if you could start us off by telling us a little bit about yourself. Who are you? <laughs> well, thank you for having me. My name is Christia DuPont, and I am by day the assistant curator at Point Ellis House Museum and Gardens. And by night, I uh, moonlight as a wannabe YouTuber where I talk about museums and random niche history topics. Do you also fight crime? Because the like by day, by night makes me feel like you're also out there like fighting crime and perhaps have a costume. Those are those are like the afternoons and evenings. You know, okay, between. great. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the stat holidays and every other Sunday you're out there exactly. fighting crime. Okay, awesome. Yep. Um, so t- <laughs> today we're talking about decent work. And I'd love if you could expand a little bit on that. Like, what is decent work? So to me, I think decent work is pretty simple. It means that you have a manageable workload, and it means that you are being compensated fairly for your labor and the time that you put into an institution. Now, is that the, this might be putting you on the spot, is that the formal definition of decent work as well? I I actually don't know, but that is that is that is my personal opinion about like the things that I look for in a decent place of employment. Okay, maybe maybe I'll um after this podcast I might look up like Webster's dictionary defines uh, decent work <laughs> as you know like um if you're doing like a wedding speech um so you so you said that you are an aspiring uh YouTuber. I know you have a YouTube channel um about decent work. How did this all get started? So last year, I was actually on a BCMA Emerging Museum Professionals panel. Thank you for joining us. (laughs) (laughs) And it kind of just kind of grew from there because on that panel, we were asked, what do you want to see in the future of the museum sector? Mm -hmm. And I said that I wanted the staff to thrive Mm -hmm. because we're all very tired. We're all very overworked. We're all underpaid. And I had put together this talk and I gave the talk on the panel and I was thinking about how I wanted to try and convert that talk into a video for the channel in order Mm -hmm. to just kind of like get the word out Mm -hmm. and engage more museum professionals with that conversation. Mm -hmm. But as I got thinking about it, I was like, well, it would probably be a lot more impactful instead of me just like sitting and talking at a camera. I figured I could try and turn this into like an interview opportunity. Mm. So I put out a call on my social media channels and I received uh, a number of replies of people that were interested. Uh, Some people that were like, I'm really interested, but I don't want to interview. And I'm like, that's that's totally fine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I got to interview five very lovely people from uh, Finland the United Kingdom, including someone who works at the British Museum in London, wow. uh, the United States, as well as another uh, museum person here on uh, Vancouver Island. Wow. So, yeah, it was it was a really interesting project. And we talked about wages. We talked about workloads. And it was a little bit heartbreaking, honestly. Yeah kind of how burnt out everybody is and 
like the first question that I asked, I was not expecting to be <laughs> kind of to kind of go for the throat like immediately. Mm-hmm. But I asked everybody, I'm like, do you make a living wage? And mm-hmm. all but one person said no. Mm-hmm. So it was it was it was very eye opening. It's like, oh, this isn't just a problem in Canada or BC. It's mm-hmm. a problem everywhere throughout mm-hmm. the sector. Is it a spoiler if I ask if you could tell us more about those those questions in the interviews? Like I can totally link the YouTube. I will link the YouTube in the description of this podcast. I really want to drive traffic towards your YouTube channel so that you beca- can become a famous YouTuber. Um, but can you give us like a little bit more information? Yeah, I'm just going to very casually pull up the questions on my phone because oh, awesome. it's been a while. <laughs> um... it's a, I, I do find it so, um, I don't know, so discouraging knowing as someone who works in this sector um, and works alongside amazing people that it's like our passion gets taken advantage of, you know, in regards to wages that you'll take a, you'll take a, a precarious position that's short-term, that's part-time, that's auxiliary. You'll take a position that is underpaid because it's a position that you are interested in, that you're passionate about. And also when wages are systemically low within our sector, it's kind of like if I don't take this job. It's not like anything else is going to get better. Um, it's just really, yeah, really heartbreaking and really discouraging. That was one thing that came up a lot um, mm-hmm. through those interviews. One of the last questions like that I asked was, um, like, do you have any other stories or analogies mm-hmm. or anything else that you want to say? And um, I believe Sylvie, who uh, is the head of a museum in the United States, was t- uh, gave a really, really great kind of uh not story but she 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 really hit it home because she was talking about how exactly what you said Lorenda we are because we're so passionate Mm -hmm. about this work and because we know that this work needs to be done it kind of leaves us in a vulnerable position where we can be taken advantage of when it comes Mm to workloads and wages Mm -hmm. so um yeah, it's really it's really interesting that you say that because that definitely mirrors something that uh, a lot of people said through those interviews. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, as far as the the other questions that I asked, I asked, "Do you make a living wage?" Mm-hmm. And I asked, "Do you often do work that is outside of your job description?" Mm-hmm. I was also curious because I'm a collections person, so I asked, "How does this affect the artifact collection?" Which was oh. really interesting. So. Um, because that is a big reason why, mm-hmm. well, a lot of staff are dedicated to that. And I think regardless of where you work in the institution, if you're not being treated well, if you're overworked and you're underpaid, that's definitely going to show up in your work regardless, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of us try not to let that kind of apathy <laughs> kick in, mm-hmm. but I think that it's you know, I think that it's definitely something that needs to be considered, regardless of whether you're in education or working with the collection or what have you. But if you have to finish your museum job and then go like work at a cafe or serve tables or do something else after, like that's going to take a toll on you. Mm-hmm. So the last question that I asked was, would you ever consider leaving the glam sector? Mm-hmm. And there was a variety of responses uh it doesn't seem like anybody really like nobody wants to leave the sector because like Mm -hmm. I said we love the work we're passionate about what we do but it comes down to 
like being able to live Mm -hmm. and being able to pay your bills Mm -hmm. and look after your family and also just your mental health too like if the place is taxing you mentally Mm -hmm. because you're doing the work of three different people and you're getting paid like the wage of half a person like that's that's gonna take a toll Mm -hmm. and it's gonna it's gonna begin to kind of bleed and you're gonna start taking that work home with you regardless of if you want to or not Mm -hmm. so it's I understand why people leave the Mm -hmm. sector and I've known people who have left and who are much happier outside of it but they still kind of have that itch they still want to go back they want to be able to contribute and be a part of this work but the sector just can't for a number of reasons provide that to the people that keep the system running so to say Mm -hmm. I I had an interesting conversation in a meeting that's sort of tied to this um, last week and it's um, it's someone who runs a program at a university that uh, results in um, sort of like paired internship learning opportunities with students and museum organizations. Um, it's been going on for a, a little while. There's been a few cohorts, a few people, a few students from their pairings at these internships ended up working in the sector for a few years. But at this point in time, no students that participated in this are currently working in our sector. And we were talking about in this meeting about how like, I don't know, I think that's, I think it's like 24, maybe 36 students who were introduced to the sector, um, had a project, worked with an organization, did networking, and yet now not here. Um, Because it just wasn't, wasn't sustainable. They couldn't find a position that was um, paying a a living wage. It wasn't exactly what they were looking for. I I can only elaborate on the reasons why they're not in the sector, but I, I did leave that meeting being like, that's really interesting that there would be this many students who had a taste of what this career could be like and they're just not just not, not pursuing it further um but I mean maybe maybe they're not all uh museum folks like I was when I I started out and and mm-hmm. it's totally okay too I kind of wonder if you know because I think with a lot of those types of programs like mm-hmm. they encourage you to go and look at what jobs are available mm-hmm and if you type in, if you go to in, like Indeed or whatever, and you type in, you know, gallery or museum and just have your location set as Victoria, like there's, it, it's crickets there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's cobwebs growing across that section, mm-hmm. which is is so frustrating because, and this is something I touch on throughout the interviews, is like, there's so many positions that could be made if these places were funded properly. Yeah. And like, there's no shortage of talented, passionate, highly skilled museum professionals out there. Mm-hmm. But you got people doing three jobs at once. Mm-hmm. And so you're kind of hurting your coworkers in a way, your colleagues in this sector, if you're allowing yourself to and not kind of not fighting for yourself and not mm-hmm. fighting for your coworkers because the institution doesn't want to pay more money or they can't afford to pay Mm -hmm. more money to hire more staff. And then you have this brain drain of people leaving the sector Mm -hmm. because of the burnout. So you're losing 
you're losing these people that could be doing amazing work in amazing positions that don't exist yet, but should. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I, I do, I, I, I can imagine people listening to this podcast and, and saying like, I do want to pay a living wage. We just don't have the money. And I totally, yeah. I totally understand and recognize that sentiment. Um, but I do think that shouldn't stop us from, from wanting to strive towards a better state for our, for our peers, for our colleagues, for our sector. I understand yeah. that you may not have that you might not have the money now. Um, but that doesn't mean that it shouldn't be something that we should be aiming for or trying for or hoping for. Um, yeah. Yeah. And one thing that I, I talked about on for my talk for the BCMA panel, but didn't necessarily come up in the video because that was kind of more international. But um, I talked a little bit about Young Canada Works on the panel mm. and how like I went and looked at a whole bunch of entries on the Young Canada Works website because I think it was around like May when that panel happened. So all mm-hmm. of those postings were being put up and people were paying like a dollar over minimum wage. Yeah. And I'm like, I, it was just, it was really frustrating to see because I'm like, you want people to enter the sector and you want to, like, you rely on these students through this system to keep your museum open, but you don't want to pay them more than, like, minimum wage. Mm-hmm. It just, like, these people could be making more money down at a and I remember at one point I actually had, like, a side-by-side comparison as one of my panels because A&W was paying, like, eighteen fifty. And then, uh, like, I had three different museums that were only paying sixteen, and I was like, "What are you doing?" I know, it, it's frustrating. I know, and it, it's again, I can imagine in my head, I'm hearing people being like, "But you know, if we pay them more than the curator is getting paid, but then I think I want to be like, well, listen to you, listen to yourself. Like, maybe the curator should also be paid more. Maybe so the, then you could... maybe the curator should be making more than nineteen dollars an hour. Yeah. Maybe you know, um." Yeah, it's but but decent work goes beyond just paying a living wage, right? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I do want I want to plug. We had a, a wonderful webinar that has now been made into a podcast as well, um, with Living Wage BC. So if you want to hear more about what a living wage is, how you can implement a living wage, more details on that, I will link that in the description of this podcast because that is something that I think is really important. We went into some really good, um, good conversation there. So do check that out. But but it goes beyond ju- decent work is beyond just a living wage. What's another thing that we could do to in- ensure we have decent work in our sector? A call to action, maybe. Well, I kind of touched on this when it came to wages, but I really think refusing work that is not in your job description, which I know a lot of job descriptions have that. Uh, wonderfully vague little line at mm. the bottom that says like other work as needed or things like that other duties as assigned yeah exactly yeah. um but if you know that if you re- if you look at your job and you realize this could be a whole other position mm-hmm. i think it's important to acknowledge that and bring that up with management mm-hmm. it might not go anywhere but, you know, sometimes people get caught up in day-to-day things and maybe your manager just didn't realize that, that was an option. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's me being extremely, like, naive and hopeful. But I, I think that um, just acknowledging the fact that to to your manager and to your superiors that this part of your job could be a whole other position mm-hmm. that would allow you to do your position better 
and also make you have a better like work-life balance, mm-hmm. I think is something that is definitely worth acknowledging and bringing up to superiors. Mm-hmm. And I, I also, I want to make this a call, a call to action for managers and people in positions of power at organizations. When you are asking um, a staff member, what you might imagine to be work um, other duties as assigned. I Googled this in prep for the prep for this podcast. Other duties as assigned are supposed to be like, there's supposed to be small duties that actually align to like their, your job description or your job um, role or like where the level you play within your organization. It's not supposed to be doing like someone's off sick for short-term disabilities. And you're going to ask um, that one staff member to cover that person's role under the guise of other duties as assigned. It's supposed mm-hmm. to be reasonable. We need to be reasonable. Um, I encourage you if you're a supervisor or a manager and you are using other duties as assigned to stop and think about whether or not this actually does fall within this person's um role. And again, I totally understand if you were yelling at the podcast saying like, I wish I could, but I can't, we need to stop and think like bigger than that and bigger than ourselves that um, if you are asking this, then like, I'm, it's really going to be another person's position. Maybe the result is that you aren't able to do it mm-hmm. because you are going to exhaust that staff member that you have who is doing this. They are going to burn out and they might leave your organization and they might leave the sector entirely which you know if you have like a high turnover rate at your uh, institution like that that yeah. costs money that's a that's a huge if you're if you're stricking looking at this strictly from like a financial perspective high turnover rate mm-hmm. is is expensive for an institution it's it's expensive for a business so it's important that you treat your staff right, yo. Yeah. And again, to plug another podcast, just um, just a few weeks ago, we released a podcast talking about emergency response through the lens of labor relations. Um, and our uh, guests, Cornelia and Valerie, speak to um, having staff that are compensated and who aren't leaving constantly. Um, not only is it like less expensive, um, you have less time spent on training, but you have staff who are informed, who have institutional knowledge so that when you have a flood, when you have a power outage, when you have a fire, they've been there, they know what to do, they know how to move into action, they've been trained, and they possibly have been through an emergency at your organization before. Um, And they also talk about it through the lens of security as well. Um, you have someone who knows that like the police don't come to the back door, the police come to the front door or your alarm system never calls you without um, like sending an email first. Like there's, there's so many layers to um, improving our sector and raising our sector up where having staff who stick around improves your organization. Uh, I feel like that was like a bit of a, of um, mouth salad, word salad, but essentially I want the point to be, if we retain our staff, you have so many positives that come mm-hmm. out of it. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, a big thing that we've been touching on is like the the passion of the people who work in this sector. Mm-hmm. It's like that is like a superpower of this sector that is mm-hmm. not tapped into nearly enough. Mm-hmm. Like people love this sector. They want to work here, but if you and if you give them the tools to be able to kind of realize their full potential within those positions like we could put these places kind of 
back on the map because mm-hmm. I feel like museums in a way are very are very contested as we kind of spoke about earlier mm-hmm. um and we need to remind people why these places are important and that they're worth saving and that they're worth funding and I think that by tapping into that resource that I think is often forgotten about like we can make these places amazing I 100% agree like I don't I, I we shouldn't be taking advantage of the passion of the people um yes yes that's the fine should, line <laughs> yeah we should we should be harnessing it like we should yeah but I don't know harness sounds negative too I mean the people who work in our sector are incredibly passionate myself included yourself included and that it, it like that is our superpower um and we can and do amazing work um so don't take advantage of it don't take advantage of us put put all of those people see who works best where and you know let people let people do the job that they went to school for that they've trained for that they've Mm -hmm. got all this experience for like let them let let them do their jobs Mm -hmm. and just kind of make sure that you're just in a way we're kind of just asking our superiors to clear the way for us Mm -hmm. we're asking them to not put those other duties as a sign in our path on our plate just just let us do the work that we know is important and that we know that we can do Mm -hmm. and And for for those um listening to this podcast who uh work at organizations that issue grants if you are a politician listening to this podcast thanks for joining us um maybe on your end you can try to bring more funding funding into the sector so for all of those folks listening to this podcast being like i really want to but we have no money um we can all be working together and in increasing um the decent work in our sector so if you are listening to this and you have the means to add more funds into our sector please do so um yeah. it would be really beneficial and could um could make the work that we do even more amazing um i feel like we've been talking about this this question that I'm going to pose, uh, but I want to make sure I'm posing it in case it's not capturing everything. What would you like to see change in our sector? What would you like to see out of this? I think the best way that I can answer this is the same way that I answered the BCMA panel, which mm-hmm. was just, I want the staff to thrive. Mm-hmm. I want there to be more staff. I want there to be a benefits program for lots of like the smaller museums especially in British Columbia Mm -hmm. because there's so many like one staff person institutions Mm -hmm. and I want I just want us to be looked after I guess Mm -hmm. I want to make sure that we're all able to afford food and the heat when it gets cold and I want to I want to see us run away with our passion and be able to do the work that needs to be done with truth and reconciliation. Mm-hmm. I want like school programs to be able to engage with history because there's enough staff at these institutions to actually have school programs. And mm-hmm. I just, yeah, I just want, uh, I just want everyone to be happy. No, please cut <laughs> no, that. No, no, no. <laughs> but, uh, but, but like, I, there's a lot of things going on in our sector. There's a lot of change. There's a lot of new things coming to our sector. And that's amazing. But I think at the core of it, something that doesn't get recognized is that there needs to be the people. There needs to be people who are in positions of these organizations who are moving this stuff forward. Um, good governance, reconciliation, activating mm-hmm. um, the uh, move, CMA's move to action, activating UNDRIP in Canadian museums. Like there needs to be 
emergency response. Like the, you, it can be really overwhelming looking at all the things that are um, sort of falling into place for our sector. But when you take even a step further, having good people in place to move forward with this is the first step. You have to Absolutely. have the staff who can who can um, move, do this, who can move forward, who can implement it, who can develop the school programs, who bring the students in, who are learning about um, your Indigenous partners, who are then going back to their classrooms, who um, bring their parents back to the museum, who become regular patrons, who attend your event. Like it, it all comes back to the people at the beginning. Um, and I, I really appreciate you bringing up benefits as well. Decent work isn't just um, sticking to duties as assigned. Decent work isn't just a living wage. Decent work includes things like benefits. Um, mental health issues are systemic within our society. It's systemic within our uh, sector. Having benefits means that you could cover the cost to see uh, a counselor or for medication, which results in a happier, healthier staff member who per perhaps could prevent burnout, who stays at your organization, who implements the amazing program, who changes the community. Like, you know, yeah, it, it, yeah. It's it's part of it's part of the story, having benefits. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I can't even tell you how much because I currently I'm currently somebody in the sector who does not have benefits. Mm. And I could not tell you how uh genuinely life-changing it would be to have uh, benefits right now. Absolutely. But, um, my institution is provincially owned mm -hmm. and we only get a certain tiny envelope of cash every year, um, which is, um, quite frankly, an insulting amount of funding. Mm. Uh, but, uh, we are, we're trying our best. And mm -hmm. I know that I, my manager and uh, our executive director is, is doing what he can to mm -hmm. provide, um, to try and provide for his staff, but mm -hmm. there also comes a point where it's the, you can have an amazing executive director who is vouching for you and things like that. But if the government and the, the, the people who are able to fund these places don't step up, mm -hmm. then that makes it that much more difficult to acquire that funding, which, yeah, you know, you can fight and you can fight and you can fight, but it's, we have, we all have a very, kind of rough ho uh rough road ahead of us mm -hmm. but i am personally quite hopeful mm -hmm. i think that as you said there's a lot going on in this sector especially in bc right now and i think that all of this shakeup has been good it's been good and bad but mm -hmm. i think that we're ultimately hopefully knock on wood going to see some positive change out of this mm -hmm. because we have I would say probably the best BC or the best museums association in the country. Well, thank you. Great. <laughs> we did pay her to say that. Um, yes. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> I really, I really appreciate that. And I, I am a forever optimist um, mm -hmm. as, Me too. as often as I can't, I, I sometimes can be um, a pessimistic optimist. So I want to, I, I lower my expectations so that I, I'm not let down, but I am a forever optimist. And I do believe despite how, complicated this web is uh, I do believe we can make positive change in our sector and I'm passionate about seeing that positive change happen um I know that 
we've sort of talked about this. The BCMA has offered a webinar, um, which we've made into a podcast as well, about unionization. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure that that might have just given some people um, a rustling of their feathers that I'm I'm calling for unionization. But it's something that can be discussed in this lens of decent work. I encourage you to give the unionization uh, podcast or webinar um, a listen or a watch. We also offered a session on burnout in the um uh, that was last year. It's also a podcast now and was a webinar. If you want to give that a listen as well to have a, a more deeper conversation about what we're trying to prevent in our sector and what is happening in our sector. Um, I, yeah, I'll link those in the, the checks. This is, I think, part of those um, overarching conversations that we're having, but I am deeply optimistic that mm-hmm. we will be able to see positive change in the sector. I think, you know, we, I think you bring up unionization is really important and I think even if unionization is not available or it's not possible for your institution or it's just, you know, if you're the only person, only full-time person, and it's just too much of an uphill battle, if nothing else, you should make sure that you're aware of your rights as a worker. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, if nothing else, having that in your back pocket and being able to protect yourself mm-hmm. against unfair work practices and things like that is Mm -hmm. invaluable. Mm -hmm. I do have to say coming from um, previously joining the BCMA, as I've I've shared um, a lot, I worked in municipal museums. I had the great pleasure of working at Burnaby Village Museum, which is the city of Burnaby, um, a wonderful time at the uh, city of Surrey, at the Museum of Surrey. And I got started uh, with the city of Richmond, the uh, Richmond Museum, the Gulf of George Cannery and the Britannia Heritage Shipyards. So I came exclusively from a unionized environment. and I, I know I know people have feelings about unions. Um, and again, I encourage you to, to give the union podcast and the webinar a listen. But one of the the um, benefits I had is our collective agreement. And when I entered into a union environment, I did not know just how valuable that was to have a little book that told me right off the bat everything that um, that the union covered that I not like. I don't want to say like labor laws, but it told me what I it told me what I was what was going to happen, what I deserved, or maybe deserves not the right word. I'm sort of grasping at straws. Um, it gave me the information about my work that if it wasn't written out there, I wouldn't necessarily know. Especially as someone who entered into the sector, um, I got my first job in museums when I was in my third year of university. Like I was pretty young. I'd only worked in retail before. Um, I didn't know stuff like that. Like I, I I had never experienced a workplace where overtime was a conversation um, or stat holiday pay or number of days that you could work in a row, stuff like that. And having it written down was so helpful for me. Yeah. It's kind of like uh, having the, a rule book in a way yeah. um, that's readily available. And then that way you're as an employer, you're looking after your employees mm-hmm. and you are making sure that your your staff aren't going to burn out. And um, it's something it's a small thing, really, mm-hmm. just typing up, typing up the rules, basically, mm-hmm. uh, that can go a really long way. So, yeah, I think that's that's a great point, Lorenda. Thank you. Um, But this all really, uh, to bring us back to the end, this all really is about taking care of the people who work in our sector. We started this conversation starting about the passion that we have, passion that both of us share, um, and wanting to do right by by the people who have this passion. Um, And that's what calling for decent work is. It's doing right by the people that you work with, that you uh, supervise, 
that you work under, that you work alongside. It's taking care of us. Look after each other. Look after each other. Mm-hmm. Um, I've made mentions of a lot of resources that I'm going to link in the description of this podcast. Is there anything that you would like to um, encourage people to explore? Um, I think talking with your coworkers, mm-hmm. not necessarily, this isn't necessarily something that you can link in the description. Um, I don't know who your coworkers are. I don't have their phone numbers, but I think sharing wages and just connecting with other people in this sector mm-hmm. and building that community, even if it's, even if like you are the only person at an institution, I think reaching out to other people. Mm-hmm. And sharing your wages, sharing your story, I think is also just very important because it also just reminds you, like, if you're, if you're going through it, if you're feeling like you want to leave, like other people are going through the same thing and it Mm -hmm. might be, it might help you organize or it might just help you kind of realize that, you know, you're not alone. Yes. <laughs> a lot of us in this sector are in the same boat. Yeah. And I think that is one of the really kind of big things that came out of the YouTube video. A lot of the comments were like, mm. oh, wow, like this is really eye opening. And, you know, it's we don't all have to go through this alone. Like we're all in the same boat together. Mm-hmm. I can also take this as an opportunity to point out that the BCMA does have sector salary surveys. Um, if you open up our website and you type it in the search bar um, salary survey, you can see that data. So you can know what other people are getting paid um, in the sector for a, your position. Um, also a great opportunity to point out um, that we still continue our water cooler Wednesdays um, every other month the first Wednesday of the month from uh, 3.30 to 4.30. It's informal chats. If you want to come and commiserate, um, please do. Uh, we have a lot of digital community building that the BCMA has offered. Um, and we encourage you to, to reach out to the people um, that work close to you, but also across this province um, to connect and share. Yeah, and I think that uh, those resources, again, are invaluable and uh just knowing that you're you're not alone if you're if you're shaking your fist at your mm-hmm. institution and are are getting ready to to call it quits with the sector mm-hmm. uh other people have your back 